Hello, it is I, Thor, and today AJ and Mike are talking about my new movie, Thor, Love and Thunder, the passion, the glory, the, um, the stupidity. Yes, I'm sorry about that. Um, I'll work on it for the next one. Welcome to episode 12 of the Outer Twilight Podcast. In today's episode, we have a look at Thor, Love and Thunder, the latest offering in the MCU and director Taika Waititi's sequel to the 2017 Thor Ragnarok. We'll give our reactions to the movie, talk about what worked for us and what didn't, and discuss a little bit about Love and Thunder and how it might affect the future of the MCU. Now remember, in the Outer Twilight, there are no bad ideas. Now that doesn't mean you have to film them and put them into the movie. But there are no bad ideas. <laughs> I was going to say, we've said that every episode, and here I am going, except Love and Thunder. That's <laughs> uh, Yeah. AJ, welcome back. So, <laughs> it's good to be here, Mike. Good to talk to you. So I saw yeah. it on, I saw the movie on opening Friday. You saw it on the Tuesday with your family. Uh, I went night. With, yeah. So you got your money's worth. <laughs> I saw I saw it with my son. And so for Noah, you know, 14 years old, this is his first MC, MCU movie in the theater. And uh, he loved it. He absolutely loved it. I left with questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, so my kids are 12 and 10. And my... <laughs> My 12 year old daughter, who's definitely a chip off the old block is, uh, uh, she came out of it with some critiques that were, I feel pretty fair and, and similar to mine. My son who's 10 was like, Oh, it was awesome. It was funny. He like, you know, he loved the humor. Um, and he loved the action. And I, I think, and I, maybe a part of me that I, I would like to, to say it in terms of the overall film is that, you know, you and I grew up reading comics. That's, that's, and and we were kids when we read comics, and that's when we enjoyed them. Um, I think this movie, more than any of the other MCU ones, raised the question of who are these movies for? Um, mm. For me, you know, like seeing my 10-year-old reacting to Love and Thunder the way I would have reacted to a comic book back in the day kind of gave me pause a little bit. Um, okay, so why don't we start yeah. this with, um, so I guess that's a bit of our initial reactions. And yeah. so let's spend a little bit of time talking about what worked, what, what did we like? So when, when I asked your initial reaction, what did you like best about this movie? I liked Gore, the God killer, great villain. Um, Christian Bale did a fantastic job with what he had to do. Um, and I know he's what I felt worked the best because I found myself after the film going, I wish I'd seen more of him because he was very sinister. There's a, a scene when he's talking to the, the captured children um, in the, in the, the cage that they're in. And he is downright creepy in that scene. Um, right. Arguably. And that's the weird thing. He's arguably the scariest we've ever seen a Marvel villain. Like again, from a kid perspective, watching this, that was terrifying. The way he was talking, the, the blackness of his teeth and everything. Like it was, it's hard to, juxtapose that with the rest of the film um but i really like that i liked the kids in the film like i thought that that having the kids being kidnapped and stuff uh plot hole is that or not plot hole sort of the villain's motivations get a little bit screwed up you know he's trying to avenge his daughter but he kidnaps children like you know but i liked the kids in the movie you know including you know the son of heimdall there is very much a cool family component. The involving the children in the climax of the film was absolute genius. Totally loved it. Um, yeah, um, there was a lot of things I like. I liked Korg. Korg, I mean, Korg's awesome. Um, and it, that's a character that it feels like Taika Waititi has a very firm grasp on. Um, and I've always liked characters that are funny by circumstance. Like they just are funny. They're not trying to be funny. 
It's just, that's the way Korg talks. That's the way he thinks. That's the way he is. So of the comedy in the film, he's what felt the most organic um, because he's just being Korg um, as opposed to some of the other stuff that was a bit forced. What about you? Well, when I look at, like, I like the use of color and then the lack of color uh, yeah. when I step back. I liked some of the jokes, some of the humor. Um, although part of it, I felt, I, I've heard people say that, oh, they felt, you know, like the Stormbreaker's jealousy over uh, Thor's wanting to get uh, his hammer back um, it was funny. And tell it for me, it wasn't <laughs> anymore. It's kind of like time to move on. Um, the the relationship with the weapons, the talking to them, pouring beer on Stormbreaker, this felt it felt like uh, one of those jokes that's like really funny in your head. But after you say it, you wonder should I have really said that? I don't, and that might just be me, but. Um, I think that's an example of where you overdo a joke. Like it's a funny idea, do it once or twice, but then leave it. Right. Um, Cause otherwise you, I mean, Thor never talked to Njolnir before. Like yeah, this was, I think, that was completely new, you know? Yeah. And I think that was my issue with, with, with yeah. the character development and just the progression of Thor in the context of Thor's overall story, that this relationship with the hammer, cause like even when, the hammer was destroyed in Ragnarok. It wasn't the huge, like obviously there's a lot going on in that, but it wasn't like he was mooning over the loss of his hammer. <laughs> um, and you know, he went well, and got the entirety a, of Love and Thunder. He didn't have a hammer or not love and thunder uh, Ragnarok. He didn't have a hammer the whole yeah. movie. Well, and then oh. infinity war, you know, Avengers infinity War. he went to get Stormbreaker because he needed something to take out thanos um it wasn't because oh he was missing his hammer so bad um anyway um so yeah there were yeah there was stuff that i liked i enjoyed seeing jane again um Mm -hmm. and i think her arc was good um it was good to see it was good to see the movie go into cancer and not just painted as something that could be wished away or that could be defeated by being just super strong. Like that it ultimately, that was what took her out. Um, uh, spoiler. There was a bit of a left turn though, in the sense of like, and I think confusing from both a writing and a viewer perspective as well, in the sense that Thor charges Mjolnir with protecting Jane. That's essentially why she becomes worthy. She takes the hammer but then it's revealed that the hammer is taking her life force. So it's actively killing her. That was a bit, there's a bit of a logic problem there. I think with the way that was presented. Um, yeah. I think more, I more explanation was probably needed to, to say how just the natural energies of the hammer created a, you know, a negative feedback loop on her. And um, yeah, sort of like her body couldn't take it as opposed to it was killing her by stealing her energy, which is I'm pretty sure that's what they said is that it was kind of taking from her um, over the course of the. Yeah, the idea that it accelerated the cancer because of its radiation really would have been a better way to go. So. We're already bumping up against it. There was stuff that didn't work for us and, you know, whether we were the intended audience for this or not. Uh, you brought that up things that didn't work. And some of the humor didn't work for me. I felt, and this was my comment when, after you finally saw the movie, you know, we started talking about it. It was just, I felt like this was the rough draft of the script and another really good pass on the script was needed. And I know that part of that comes from that. They do a lot of ad libbing, a lot of, you know, here's an outline and the characters, the actors kind of fill in the blanks through the different takes and they work with what, you know, they run with what's working and, and then, you know, how much is Marvel saying, okay, no, we need this or we need that. And like last minute changes and stuff like that. To me, it just, it felt like 
it needed some more work and um and for me and so that led to sometimes character inconsistencies um mm. and particularly like and again looking at thor in the larger context of of his journey of where he started at and where he ended up being um i don't know he, we didn't really see him deal with the fact that he's had so much loss like he is but he he isn't um and and i for me i think that's a problem I, or a missed opportunity i don't think that he is properly they were properly properly exploring the depths of his loss and maybe the argument they would make is that okay he was manifesting that in the loss of his hammer at that point, seeing it again, you know, in the same way that maybe if he saw his mother again, or if he saw Loki from the TV series that, you know, he just want to be with Loki. Um, but mm-hmm. it, for me, it just, it didn't feel right. And a lot of the scenes felt awkward because it just seemed like, yeah, they were making it up as they were going along. And well, there's, there's something you kind of touch on that. I, I think I noticed, and it, I kind of feel like it's gotta be somebody in the Marvel camp, uh, not the directors themselves necessarily who are falling prey to, to maybe not really understanding filmmaking until it's too late, I guess. I, I what I keep thinking of when I was watching Thor love and thunder, it came up a couple of times is that for me is that guardians of the galaxy volume two had the exact same problem. There was great humor throughout. That's kind of what Guardians of the Galaxy has been known for. Yes. But when, um, oh, crud, Michael Rooker's character, blue guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm blanking on it, too. I know. What the heck? Uh, anyway, uh, when he dies, when he dies, there's, there's like, he's laying on a table dead. And then there's jokes while they're, you know, this is, this guy's like, you know, Star-Lord's surrogate father, the whole nine yards. They've really impressed upon that. And then there's this really inappropriate humor that takes place and he's dead. And it like completely kills what they were going for tonally in my mind, what James Gunn was going for tonally in my mind. It kind of felt like there was somebody going, no, it needs to be funnier there. It's getting too dead for the end, right? You're getting too serious kind of thing. And it's like Yondu. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, gonna say, I was just waiting for you to pause so I could say Yondu. <laughs> <laughs> uh Mary Poppins. Um but yeah, he, he, he that movie had tonal issues in the very same vein, I think. Um it's kind of crazy to think to me, I guess, when we have Gore the God Butcher who in terms of stakes and why he's doing what he's doing, I mean, he's essentially a a, a grief rage monster. That's really what he is. He's he's sort of grief taken to the maximum. Um especially with his motivation being that he wants all gods to die because gods don't care. I mean, that's a very profound existential idea. Um, And then you also have the opportunity for some great juxtaposition with what's going on with Jane Foster dying of cancer, uh, which is also tonally really heavy a a topic and should have, in my opinion, well, I thought that for one thing, it's the comic book storyline. So they stuck to that. But the other part of it is that she has cancer. Lots of people have dealt with someone in their lives who has fought cancer or died from cancer. And there were some times where the humor related around that was really inappropriate. Um, you know, the, the, what, so specifically I'm thinking, you know, like when they're on the boat and Thor and Jane kind of have the reunion conversation um, and he goes like, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. And he has this very beautiful, loving speech. And then she just goes, I have cancer. I laughed out loud because it just felt so like, what? Like from, and it pulled me right out of the movie because tone, like timing, the the, the timing of that shot, the timing of the way the actors were interacting with each other and stuff. It felt like it was meant to be a joke, but in such poor taste to me that, that gave me a laugh reaction. It made me go, what you know um i mean granted and i mean my wife pointed out well she did have cancer and you know he's he didn't know that and she's like i better tell him now because if i don't what's going to happen which is fair but i just felt the way it was 
the way well, it was conveyed in that shot really bothered me. And well, one of the yeah. criticisms that I've heard of Taika Waititi in general, and but in relation mm-hmm. to this movie, but in his work in general, is that he's really good. He's really good at hitting, you know, these 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 deep hard points, like you're saying, and he's really good at hitting the the comedy points. But what he tends to do is he lingers on the comedy points a little bit too long and he cuts away from the hard points too quick. And it doesn't give them, you know, the time for the time that you need to, to, to understand, to dwell on that, to feel what needs to be felt in that moment. And, and I think, you know, and I guess tone, uh, the tone that you come across, come away with is reflected in that. Well, and there was, I, and I think kind of my overall point in what I'm saying is that there was the heavy stuff and the humor stuff, but the two things didn't meet in the middle ever. Like it never felt like those concepts gelled properly. Well, I, I said to you before we started recording, you know, it felt like bubble gum eventually, you know, the more I think about it now, the flavor has gone. <laughs> And it's, it's not lasting, right? It's just kind of, I've chewed on it a little bit and it has not held up um, as well. Maybe on home viewing, I'll be less critical. But Well, and I wonder about that. I've thought about that because I know with Guardians Volume 2, I felt eh the first time I saw it. But when I rewatched it, those those emotional beats hit more. And I was able to put more thought and I guess more of a presence on what he was saying about family and all those ties and that. And for me, it was way better the second time. I wonder if this might do it. I don't know. Um, I suspect not because some of the, some of the issues that I have, I don't think are going to be fixed by watching it again. And I'll watch it again at some point, but. I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I feel like Thor has been homered. Uh, what I mean by that is that, you know, in the start of the Simpsons, Homer was kind of a cranky, you know, dad, but not an idiot. And now, you know, and it's he's been this way for a long time. Now he's just a moron. He's just stupid and not very smart and, you know, just makes dumb decisions. And that kind of felt like what happened to Thor in this one. Like he went from kind of, you know... He went from being super serious in his first movie to a second movie that had a really heavy plot that he kind of had to carry to a third movie, Ragnarok, where suddenly humor was a big part. And it really opened up that character a lot. But now it feels like it was a step too far in this one where he's just he's kind of a dummy. Like he is. It's like he's learned nothing over the course of like you're talking about the grief stuff and the loss that he's experienced and he's going through this. He's just like, like when he meets Jane Foster, his reaction is kind of just like this very high school, like Jane, how are you? Me like you still. I think, you know, it's been eight years, seven days, six months, eight months, eight years, seven months, six days, you know, like it's been counting the days. There's kind of that love struck teenager component to him. <laughs> so, so the thought that I had was, and a bit of this goes back to the, so the, what if, the episode mm-hmm. where they have Thor and, you know, he's the, the party God and, you know, destroys planets and that it seems almost, I'd had the thought that Thor's character arc is upside down. That yeah. the Thor that we had in this movie is, is the Thor that we should have had originally. And that as he goes through grief, he eventually becomes the Thor that we had in the first Thor movie. And, that, you know, and then comes to terms with that and then can grow into being a superhero as opposed to where he started out as a superhero and he's become, well, he was literally a fat joke in Endgame. Um, and to where he was now, he was an idiot. And it's like, yeah, he should have been an idiot. And then working his way into taking things too seriously because of everything that he's gone through. And then eventually finding some, you know, proper balance of who and what Thor should be. But, uh, I do, I, no, I just wanted to touch on another point that I had is I really, really hated the entire omnipotent city. And, 
um, when I look at it and I'm sure they had, they had the reasons for it and whether it was rating or what they were trying to accomplish in that, but we could have done without that and actually shown the, all the scenes that Christian Bale talked about where they're showing Gore taking out different gods as opposed to just Zeus making a comment about, Oh yeah, a bunch of low level gods died. You know, we're not worried kind of thing. I would have rather have seen those things. I would have, um, yeah, I, I just felt that the omnipotent city was like, we, Taika had an idea and Hey, let's run with it. It'll look really cool. And then they did it. Like, it reminds me of a quote that I read where, um, the quote was Tessa Thompson asking Taika a couple of weeks before filming started, you know, Hey, how's the script coming and stuff like that. And, and he said, well, it's like if uh, we had a bunch of 10-year-olds writing the script and uh, they threw in all their ideas and we didn't take any of them out. And it's like, yeah, that's actually a pretty good description of all the stuff that's in there. Thing. I think one of the, you know, in, in reflection to the whole Omnipotent City, one of the biggest problems, the more I thought about it, um, I mean, really, they go there to get the lightning bolt, right? That's what they go there to get Thor or uh, Zeus's lightning bolt. That's why they go to Omnipotent City. Um, the problem and, is, and so to, is that uh, I was just saying, and to reinforce that the gods don't care, but, but that's the problem is that you, as a viewer, when you see Zeus behave like that and you see how lax they've become aside from wanting Thor to survive as a viewer, you go, I get where Gore's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of like, you know, um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, right? Like, I mean, it's like, well, it'd be nice if Thor and the Asgardians survived, but if this is what if this is what the rest of the gods in the universe look like. I get where Gore is coming from, and I don't know that I'd feel all that sad if he succeeds. Um, and that's problematic, you know, when you're trying to get everybody to root for Thor. Um and then there's the fact, too, that out of all the weapons in the Marvel Universe, they could have chosen something other than Zeus's lightning bolt and completely avoided the entire omnipotent city thing. And they could have introduced Hercules in a totally different way. Um, like, it felt almost like the entire omnipotent city thing was to introduce Zeus so that he could introduce Hercules. I had that thought, um, too, that that was the whole purpose of it. And to tell a couple jokes. Yeah, and I mean, well, and apparently Russell, uh, 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 Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe, yeah, yeah, yes, he 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 did Zeus with a British accent and a Greek accent, and when the, they tested it with audiences, they preferred the Greek accent, and to me, the Greek accent, I was just like, this is, this is where the movie has gone into full on ridiculous stupidity, like it. it it sounded cartoonish. It felt cartoonish. And now every time we see Zeus in the MCU, he's going to have that stupid accent the entire time. Um, you know, it, it's just, yeah, I, I agree with you there. The omnipotent city did not need to be there. They needed to do more interaction with Gore. I, I mean, they should have had more interactions between Gore and Thor or, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Hey, they rhyme. Um, or uh, gore and apparently there was a bunch of of cameos that were cut um yeah. but it would have been interesting i think to see gore interacting with some of the other mcu characters maybe celestials or you know things like that um well there, he's the god yeah. butcher but we only ever see him kill one god yeah and, and then they get and, this running tally that he's up to like 1500 and it's like uh where you know, like, how did he do that? Um, yeah. So I, yeah, it's, I think you're right about the script. It was kind of a mess. And part of me thinks that the problem was, is, is scheduling. Um, Taika Waititi's got his hands in a lot of things, but so do a lot of those other actors. I mean, Chris Hemsworth's like white hot right now. Like Tessa Thompson is as well. Um, it really kind of felt like it was this more than almost any other Marvel movie I can think of. Although Doctor Strange might fall into this category too, felt kind of thrown together. Um, we're on a timeline here. We got to get this out. 
uh, and it, I think it suffered for it. Um, in so, fact, there's also been complaints about CGI, which mm-hmm. I noticed while I was watching it as well. And that comes from not being ready in time. Well, and, and I, I did see a clip again of Tessa Thompson and Taika Waititi talking about one of the scenes and like they were looking at it and, and he referred, made a reference to, yeah, the CGI wasn't done on it because they didn't have time because Marvel asked for a change at the last second and they kept getting these last second changes. And, and I know I saw another article somewhere about how Marvel's CGI companies are really getting frustrated with what they're being asked to do and the timelines that they're being given to do it. And then getting criticized for not pulling it off on things that just don't fit into the timeline that, uh, that they should. So we're left with, so we have this movie and, um, you know, we can go on at length about different things. Like, you know, I have a question about omnipotent city. Was that just earth's omnipotent city? Because didn't see a whole lot of gods that were not earth. Like is earth the only place that has gods? Well, there was Um, the guy that was just just a head and feet. I don't know what he was from, but I but thought all he the was rest from... were. Yeah, no, I hear you. Know, you. I human... absolutely agree. Yeah, and and even uh, Zeus's one comment about uh, okay, and then and the winner of uh, the god who got the followers to sacrifice the most humans, and it's like, well, there's more than just humans out there, which apparently, and I saw a video, um, it switches to Thor and those guys talking. But if you listen really carefully to Zeus talking in the background, he says the winner is Satan. Um, and really? He, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because in the in original character arc, his character was actually supposed to be a Satan type character before they mm. went with Zeus. Um, which you know goes against the whole that that scene was for the purpose of introducing Hercules later, but um, so what could have fixed this beyond having a finished script, um, you know, making those, those type of decisions for me, my immediate one. And, and this was the reaction that I gave you is that I felt that there, this needed to be two movies, not that we needed two movies, but I felt that the, okay, well, okay, here's another complaint. I did not enjoy the guardians role in it because they didn't have one. Um, <laughs> Even though they're used in the advertising a ton, which is yeah, a heavily lot like, like it was suggesting, but even like at the end of end game, you know, the whole, Oh, as guardians of the galaxy and that whole, you know, um, Peter quill and Thor rivalry. And, uh, but you know, no, we, here we have, They've been on some adventures, obviously, long enough that Thor got back into shape. Um, his perspective on the world has changed a whole bunch. And uh, somewhere along the line, they picked up Kraglin. Um, and because he wasn't with them in Endgame, at the end of Endgame. So, it's true. Well, it's almost like they should have had an Asgardians of the Galaxy movie. It's kind of yeah, what you're like, saying. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and part of that could have been, you know, Thor getting to where he is or where he could have been at the beginning of this movie. Um, I really disliked, you know, shoehorning in Darcy um, with no reference to what she had gone through in WandaVision, which was huge. Um, Not that there should be, but you know, it changes the character. Um, Very brief. Look, it's a connected universe, everyone. Yeah, and Solvig being, you know, his brief little thing. Oh, if you need anything, let me know. And it's like, we didn't need that kind of stuff. It was just kind of like, for me, the biggest thing is, yeah, separating it, having Asgardians of the Galaxy movie, and then have this movie. And, you know, the end of Asgardians of the Galaxy is where they start discovering that gods are dead, and they can tease gore, and then you can have a bigger gore the God butcher movie. There's a, a, I feel like Marvel is starting. MCU is starting to suffer a little bit from a formulaic laziness. Like there's a, you know, you kind of know what to expect in their movies. None of the main characters are really going to face stakes that are life threatening. You know, like there's really not like, you know, like even in Dr. Strange uh, in the multiverse of madness, they show a bunch of the students getting killed. At least it seemed like they were killed. And then they just show up later. 
like Rintra, for example, they show Rintra going down like with a bunch of other peepees, the Minotaur looking guy, you know, and he's just like, is he the in end, the end? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, <laughs> I'm not going to not notice that guy. Cause he's the only one that looks like a cow compared to everybody else. But he, you know, it looks like he dies and then he's apparently okay. Um, well, cause you know, cause yeah, then, cause didn't Wanda resurrect him to use as a, to torture as kind of like a zombie to force Wong yeah, to go with her. And, but presumably once the dark hold is done, so would like, he wouldn't just go back to being himself. He'd be dead again. Right. Like, I mean, I don't know that that's niggling kind of things, but I, what I'm saying is like, there's, there seems to be a, like a formulaic laziness that I think, you know, if you'd want my opinion on what would have fixed things, it's that they should separate director and screenwriter. I understand that there are a lot of directors that also want to have the script rights, like that they want to have control over what happens uh, to the characters in the movie, presumably to give them a passion. Marvel has been using writer directors for a while. Uh, Sam Raimi, when he came on to Dark Strange in the um, Multiverse of Madness, that's a different script writer um, than, than, although he had obviously input on the story. But I think what happens is when you get a director, writer, director, they can be too precious with their own material and they have a harder time. Taika Waititi has a harder time differentiating what should and shouldn't go into a film. Whereas if you have a script that you're working off of, it's going to, you know, as a director, it kind of pulls you back to it, right? It's kind of your rudder. It should be your rudder as to how a movie's going to turn out. Whereas if you're a director, you've written everything down and given a script to everybody involved, but you have it in your head of what you put in there, what you're more precious with, what you're not as precious with. And then you end up, you don't have that rudder anymore because the rudder is your mind. The rudder is, you know, as you're filming, Oh, what if we did this? What if we did this? What if we did this? And you can lose sight, you know, I mean, you're talking shoots that are, four months long and arduous, you know, long days, lots of stuff going on. I don't know how any director could keep in his head what he was filming at the beginning by the end of of shooting in a way that would allow it to be tonally constant. Right. Um, So I feel like a good way to fix Marvel movies in general would be to have, you know, if a director's willing to go like, Oh yeah, I'll do one. You know, if I'm not writing the script, I'll do one. But okay, Marvel, stick to that. Don't you don't have to do keep hiring writer directors. You know, I don't know, but that's that's also a broad stroke because James Gunn arguably is a great writer director, knows exactly what he's doing. But I feel like it could fix a multitude of problems if they did that. Okay, so a thought that popped into my mind. And, and I don't have an answer for this and we might not be able to, to really dig into it here, but with the advent of all the streaming shows and how stuff is presented differently there, has that impacted, has that affected how we watch the movies and how we experience the movies? Cause you, I, I guess the argument is in the streaming, you know, you, you dig a little bit deeper into the minutia um, where the movies you have, you have two hours to cover a lot of ground and theoretically, mm-hmm. it, you know, it all has to be big. Um, you know, has watching all these streaming movie streaming shows, has that affected the movie watching experience or how we enjoy the movies? Maybe. I feel like it's kind of for, for one thing right now, it's a lot to expect of a viewer to like, can you imagine how you would feel if you were new to Marvel movies and new to Marvel, new to the MCU and asked a buddy who was like really into the MCU. So where should I start? Like, Holy crap. You're, you're up to like 80, a hundred hours of content. You'd have to watch to catch up at least. Um, <sighs> So what I think that creates and more on what you're saying is it creates a large pool of comparison. So we can say this movie is a good example of an MCU movie. This movie is a bad example of an MCU. movie. 
movie. And then there's kind of a whole spectrum in between, right? And so the TV shows will all fall in there somewhere because in my opinion, there's been good Marvel shows and bad Marvel shows. Um, there isn't as many, um, but like Ms. Marvel, which just ended, um, was fantastic. I mean, it was great. It was right up there with some of the best Marvel content, in my opinion. Um, and I think that's more the problem is that we are getting now so much Marvel. I think it's much easier for us to see this is good. This is bad. This works. This mm-hmm. doesn't. I don't know if it has to do with length. I think it has to do with um, the creators that that put the work into it. Uh, Ms. Marvel, you could tell it was uh, people of color, uh, Pakistani uh, Muslims, a large portion of of, um, the content of Ms. Marvel was developed by people who understood the culture. And it came through. You could see the passion. You could see the care and the love that was put into that. Um, With tentpole stuff like Thor, Love and Thunder, I think what they really care about is the the money. You know, they want to be sure that this is a box office success. That's a big difference from what you're saying about the shows versus the like streaming versus um, theatrical. Theatrical, they have to make bank on those. TV, they're a little more relaxed because they don't have to make as much money. You know, it's interesting because, and maybe this goes the different direction, and we can abandon this. But I heard a quote today from Eric Kripke, so the showrunner for The Boys on on Prime. And he was kind of sending out a note there. He's saying he's finding that with streaming, you know, they have these, these directors coming in and they're coming in with this idea. It's like, okay, like, you know, I got this, you know, 10 hour, you know, epic streaming thing where, you know, at hour eight, it really hits hard and, you know, and everything up to there is the buildup. And he says, well, that, that's just like, it's a waste of eight hours to get to that point. Like, it's like, you know, don't give me a 10 hour epic. Give me episodes that hit and each episode has something good happening and has a point and is serving a great purpose and has excitement in it. And, you know, and arguably that's what, you know, the boys was doing. Um, but, you know, you can look at some of the Marvel stuff um, where, you know, there, there's, okay, this is the obvious filler episode or, you know, this is the bridge episode to get you from the last interesting thing to the, to the, to the build up to the really interesting thing um, as opposed to, you know, something really interesting or something really important happening in every episode. It's like, it's here's a license to make a six hour movie uh, (laughs) as though it were a two hour movie, but just make it take six hours to do it with the exact same structure that you would have for a two hour movie. And uh, I worry that that is going to affect how, we can process things and just even how we approach things and and how the creators approach things. We get too comfortable with that. Case in point. I mean, I, I do, I do really want to touch on Ms. Marvel because I do think, um, Oh, and I think you're a fan of it too, right? You'd like Ms. Marvel. Oh yeah, very much. It would be my top Um, three. Yeah. And like part of what, like what I was saying, you know, dealing with, partition which is a you know a real historical event with real major ramifications um and it was dealt with historically correct like it was they didn't pull punches in the in the in the depiction of the partition and what happened in pakistan at the time and you could tell that the creators behind it had a strong desire to tell this story like the episode when kamala episode five when Kamala is actually transported back in time by the bangle granted this part is fictional but what it's conveying is like you know you have her grandma as a small child who's like two or three separated from her father she doesn't know her mother has just been killed um and Kamala basically has this massive responsibility but also this tremendous honor of saving her grandmother and being the one that does it and that whole sequence, even though that's not something I've lived through, it's it's history. Um, 
you know, it's something that happened to other people. The empathetic component of that sequence was so strong. I had tears streaming down my face at how hard that would have been for families to go through that, you know, and that whole six hours, that was what made it so special was that you had a family that you, you know, they're culturally different from me, but that passion Mm -hmm. for, you know, the passion for staying in relationship with parents, the parents being passionate about being in relationship with their kids while trying to guide them while living in a religious structure that is different from what I experienced, but at the same time had some similarities. Like it was so connective from a viewing perspective that you really felt at the end that by the time Kamala embraced who she was, that you were, you know, like the, the last episode, there's the people, she calls in all the people that, you know, her friends call in the people to say, they're trying to do this to Ms. Marble. You got to get out here, you know? Um, And you feel like you're one of the people standing in that crowd by then, you know, that's impressive to pull that off from an artistic perspective is really hard. That's how you get real connection. And maybe that's an aspect that you can get in shows that you can't get in films. Yeah. You can, you, yeah, just you, yeah. You can take an entire episode to go and do an episode long flashback and to show why this connection is important and why these things are happening. And that, you know, with the context of the episode, you know, it had a beginning, middle and end. And it served a purpose within larger narrative of the show. Um, It wasn't filler. It was different than the other episodes, but that was a good thing. And yeah. And you did touch on a point that I think that I'm, I'm going to bring up because, you know, we talked about, we had mentioned earlier, okay, I wasn't the target audience or, you know, for this or what is the target audience. And, and I know that I've seen a lot and heard a lot about people saying that, you know, okay, well, I'm not the target audience for Miss Marvel, you know, that's, you know, for younger and, and, and you look at stuff like the Black Panther phenomenon, how um, people of color, particularly the black community hadn't had that kind of superhero representation um, mm-hmm. and how strongly they identified with it to, to see in essence themselves up on the big screen and, and, and here, like you know, the, the Muslim community and, and it being treated as, you know, from the inside and, and being treated honestly and not just where in our entertainment culture, they're the other and it's the other, they're the bad guys. And, you know, and, and often in our news cycle or the pseudo news cycle, it's like, it's the easy to paint, you know, other that you know to be scared of type of thing and that's where i think that we are the audience for this do we identify with the characters and in what they're living and experiencing on on you know that level of you know no we didn't go through partition no we we don't face that type of persecution and surveillance and those type of pressures in our lives um we experience family and there's things that we do relate to but we are the target audience because it's only through experiencing that type of art through experiencing that type of pop culture that we can start to break down those barriers and we can really, really truly humanize the people that are living with us and, and and to see their experience and to see what they've gone through. And it, and it, and it needs to change us. And like for you, it changed you in that, you know, you identified and truly understood you know, through this, you know, make belief thing that, you know, yeah, she created stars and yeah, has superpowers and stuff like that. But the fact that, you know, yeah, child was separated because of something that was so totally beyond their control and, you know, to be able to be reunited in something that was tragic. Um, we can understand that even if we've never lived that and it's shows and movies that help us to be able to do that. And so then, yeah, we are the target audience for that. And we need to, we need more of that. And we need to experience that. But, and I'd almost take, and I, I would add on to what you're saying, because I, I think you'll agree with this too. I mean, I think what I found as well is there were parts where I felt sort of envious of the community that, and the family dynamics that were present there. Um, you know, I wish 
that my family was that close. You know, I wish that there was that much connection with the people in my neighborhood. Um, I wish that there was that much more acceptance um, in, in my life and, and, and sort of that the world, cause I can see the, in some ways those communities are as small, well, are as condensed as they are because society, white society has forced them to be that way. Um, but the positive that comes out of that is to see the, you know, there's the scene when the imam is kind of like when uh, Kamala is talking to her friend and they're in, 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 in the mosque. Right. And the imam goes, do you have something to tell everybody? You know, like there was such a, a cool, like sense of like camaraderie and in, in an unexpected place. Right. Um, and it was really cool and it made me smile. Um, you know, it, it just, it was so good. Um, I think though, it, just to kind of bring this full circle now and, and around again, is that generally, yes, I think shows are a little bit easier in the sense of trying to help you be attached, but there are movies, there are directors who are very, very adept at connecting you to characters, connecting you to fictional people, superheroes or whatever um, that, you know, Steven Spielberg is probably the prime example where you care. I mean, you care about a little three foot tall alien who drinks beer and, you know, makes a, makes a radio and eats Reese's pieces, you know, like how do you, how as a director do you, but he did it in two hours, you know, James Gunn, you care yeah, about the fall in love with a tree and a raccoon. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he has a, a way, like I am Groot. Like I dare you to not have a little tear in your eye when Groot says we are Groot at the end of the first guardians of the galaxy. It's heartbreaking, you know, mm -hmm. and rocket is heartbroken. Neither of those characters exist in reality. They're a hundred percent CGI and you feel bad for them. Um, And so like, it's not to crap on Taika Waititi. I think it's just, he obviously really wrestled with how to connect his viewers to characters that we already should know really, really well. We should know Thor really well. We should know Jane somewhat, you know, and yeah. And it kind of went sideways. Well, and I think, you know, and maybe there was the missed opportunity is that we didn't see the consequence to the gods. Yeah. We saw one, one God that was a, reprehensible get killed and yeah probably deserved it <laughs> um we saw the carcass of another the giant one he said oh yeah he was a really great guy you know he, he was one of the best but we had no connection to him so it didn't matter to us to us it was just like, like a giant monster that was slain and then we didn't see any any other you know there there was no um humanizing of thor's position and what he was trying to do and which was ultimately just save his own life really um because even you know it wasn't like like uh mighty thor like jane was in direct danger because of it like even if she was the one that gore was going after and so then it became more personal it was just kind of this oh yeah they kidnapped the kids but while the kids were being freaked out, they didn't appear to be in direct danger. He was just using them as a lure. And yeah, maybe there wasn't stakes, no. which is weird well, in a movie about. Like, and Taika Waititi and a lot of others were basically, this is my version of a Marvel romantic comedy. Except romantic comedies, as a general rule, don't kill off the love interest at the end. <laughs> like, that's a big component of that, that really like talking about feeling like there's not really any stakes. It, to me, it actually takes some pretty big mistakes to make it so that when the person dies at the end, you're like, so why did I just watch this whole thing? Like they're getting together. It's about Thor, you know, finding like he's had this long lost love. She comes back into his life. There's promise here. There's positivity. There's this chance for happily ever after. No, <laughs> like, it's just, 
it's infuriating in a lot of ways because man, if they don't bring her back, ah, I don't, yeah. And and then they did. Well, and then she got to go to Valhalla anyhow. And so, yeah. Does that mean she's coming back or does that mean, Oh, she's gone now for good. Don't expect to see her again until Thor dies. Inevitably. Because we can't just so, have some guy go off into the, you know, and stop making movies. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to wrap this up and with, with a point that I saw, and this was somebody trying to explain why the movie was the way that it was and whether they were a Taika Waititi apologist or what, but they pointed out that the framing device that they use for the film is Korg telling the story and that suggesting then that the whole story was told from essentially Korg's perspective and he's the unreliable narrator. And so therefore, you know, Jane didn't have a huge thing and he wasn't a God. And so those things were less important to him, but you know, screaming goats crashing into a proto planet and um, funny things were more important to him and you know and he likes to tell jokes or be funny in his own kind of dry sardonic wit that that was their explanation that it was all intentional because it was being told through the lens of korg i don't buy it i think that's just trying to be an apologist for why things maybe didn't work it was all a dream you know, um, which is exact. I mean, it's the exact same premise, really. I mean, is that you have a guy telling a story, you know, therefore, because the guy's telling the story, it's going to be a little inaccurate or it's going to be wildly inaccurate um, or embellished. And it, it was all a dream is kind of the same thing in the sense that it erases everything that went before it erases all our frustrations because it never happened. So if you didn't like the story, great. Good news for you. It was a dream the whole time. <laughs> You know, so I don't know. The guy might be an apologist, but if he is, I would say he's not a very good one. That's that's it for me for today. <laughs> Although, though, Korg's husband being Dwayne the Rock was pretty funny. <laughs> I thought it was Blaine. But anyway, Dwayne. Dwayne no, it, was, it was Dwayne. <laughs> was it Dwayne? So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so right on. yeah, we touched on a few things and. Good conversation, and yeah, we could go on about. We never did talk about what this means, but for phase four in the future, but uh, yeah, we can touch on that another day. So, absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for joining us today here on the Outer Twilight. Please feel free to subscribe to our podcast anywhere you usually subscribe to your podcast. If you prefer to watch the podcast, you can find us on YouTube on our channel, The Outer Twilight. Have a great day. <laughs>